Well, hey, hey, hey. How are we doing today? This is Float On. This podcast gives you guidance and insight into seeing more beauty along the river ride that is life. You can't go back. You can only learn and move forward. I'm your host, Dahlia Jean. Let's do this thing here. So hey there, hey there. I hope you're all having an awesome day. My guest for today's episode is super special to me. She is a longtime and very dear friend of mine that I hold quite close to my heart, if I have to be honest. Colleen Sari is awesome. She is on this learning journey that has enabled her to overcome many obstacles, to create a healthy, success-filled life despite many devastating childhood diagnoses. The earliest stage of her current learning journey began in 2015 with her yoga practice that led her to realize that joy really is a choice. After years of struggle with mental health and subsequent self-medication, she became empowered to make sweeping changes in her life. These changes lead her down a path of spiritual study, self-examination, and work in mindset reprogramming and applying the power of positive thought. Colleen continues to work toward the best version of herself. In doing so, she's passionate about sharing her story and letting others with similar struggles know that there can be hope even when circumstances seem impossible. Colleen has been an inspiration to me and so many others, along with being an invaluable and supportive friend over the years. We connect on so many levels. I'm just so pumped to share this conversation with you guys. I have to be honest. So I record my conversations with my guests ahead of time. And because of that, I wait to edit them until I'm ready to record this intro. It gives me a chance to sort of re-listen with fresh ears and just kind of be present with the conversation itself. And I have to say, I was laughing. I was fighting back tears listening to this conversation. Colleen is just so open and she's so genuine and she's so insightful about so many things. And it's just a really, really powerful conversation that we have. I I think a lot of you are going to gain so much from this conversation. So I'm just so excited to share it with you guys. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with my very dear friend, Colleen. All right, guys. So I'm super excited to have my very good friend, Colleen, with me here. Hey, Colleen. Hi. How are you? I'm very good. (laughs) I'm so excited you're here. So we're going to just dive right into our conversation. I'm going to start off with the first part, which is obviously the biggest part. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of your important moments as someone who really strives to learn from life and what you feel led you to that point. All right. I would say that... There are two moments that would stand out most for me as far as moments where, you know, it was a big step in my learning path. And the first one would be 2015. Mm -hmm. I decided to quit drinking and quit smoking within Mm -hmm. a week of one another. I did cold turkey, which I found out later. If you're drinking like excessive amounts yeah. of hard liquor like I was, you should not do that. Um, oh, really? Cold turkey, it can cause medical problems, so don't no do that way. anymore. But um, luckily for me, it worked out really well. Um, wow. And I, you know, have been sober now for over five years. Yay! Which has been really great. It was something that at first I was just like, I'm just going to quit this for a while. You know, I never yeah. gave myself that forever timeline. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it became apparent, you know, the longer 
I was in it that this is what I need to be doing. Which one did you quit first? I quit smoking first. And you smoked regularly, right? Oh, I smoked like two and a half packs a day no. since I was like 16. Oh. So I was, I was in it. Like I was a dedicated smoker. So when you quit smoking, you had a week before you quit. Yeah. Then within a week I was like, yeah, drinking's definitely got to go too. Because before that I had been in a situation where, um, like at 12 years old, I had developed an eating disorder mm -hmm. that persisted into my thirties. So I was like 31 when yeah. I quit drinking and smoking. So I'd had the eating disorder forever. Um, and then when I was 13, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So that was something that I was also battling. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking to myself pretty shortly before I ended up quitting drinking and smoking that I was like, if I was ever going to make a move with the eating disorder or the drinking or smoking yeah. or anything, I would have to just be institutionalized because I could never do it yeah. on my own. It was so overwhelming. Yeah. We were all so like tied to each other, but that didn't end up being the case because it had been a very long road, you know, yeah. up until that point. And then the drinking and smoking were really like my crutches to yes. manage kind of the aftermath of dealing with, you know, a severe mental yeah. illness issue. Yeah. And, you know, just the eating disorder that was kind of persisting. So with the eating disorder, do you also feel like it was during that same time frame that you sort of made moves to conquer that as well? Um, it wasn't until it probably was four or five months after quitting drinking and smoking wow. that I actually got into a eating disorder recovery program for the first oh, time. Well, not for the first oh. time because I had been my whole childhood, like high yeah. school was like intensive outpatient. Yeah. There ended up being a couple of times I was hospitalized for ODs. Oh, wow. And then eventually when I was 18, I ended up doing electroconvulsive therapy, which was really challenging because it, it caused a lot of like memory yeah. issues. So wow. there had been a lot of treatment, but this was, okay. I guess, the first time that I as an adult was facing yeah. it and seeking treatment on my own without a guardian. Yeah. 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 And so, you decided on your own too. Yes. You were like this, it's time. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do this. Yes. Good. That's um, awesome. I would say that that's one of the biggest things about being, I guess, a lifelong learner is really not only learning different, yeah. like new things and learning mm -hmm. new things about yourself, learning new things about life, but implementing change. Yeah. Um, that has been the most powerful part of the puzzle. For it me. is. Yeah. I've talked about making changes in some of my other episodes and I feel like it, it's one of those things where it's so fulfilling, especially if it's a beneficial change. When you make that plan and then you execute it, it's like you're high on life. I mean, it's such an achievement and it's so fulfilling. And when you look back and think about how scary we make it, yeah, it's like, what, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, yeah. It's make the decisions, commit to it, yeah. set yourself up for success, find those resources. There's a million excuses I could have made at the time that I sought that treatment. Like yeah. I could have said, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I was crazy busy. I wasn't making a ton of money. But yeah. if you are ready to commit to a decision and find the resources wherever you can, yeah, yeah it's really life-changing. Yeah. And it's it, looking back, it's not as scary as you might have made it seem at yeah. some point. Well, I think too, I mean, if you... If you read about the brain and how we function as creatures, naturally we're creatures of habit because we find comfort in mastering things. So there's a level of essentially like autonomy, like just 
let's make it let's make it automatic so that we don't have to think about things. So these habits start to come in and they become comfortable for us. And then we don't want to change because then we have to refocus energy to you have to relearn make how to that, live. Yeah. And you have to make that change and it's it it sort of pulls your attention from other things that you might want to be doing. Like for example, with me, like I'm trying to get back into running and so now I'm thinking about that much more. Whereas I wasn't thinking about it two weeks ago. You know what I mean? But now it's like taking up brain space. It's taking up a part of my day, a part of my being to make a change to better myself. And like I said, I think there's certain people who get caught up in these habits or like you were saying, like the change doesn't have to be so scary, but it's that change. That's what people fear is like, one, what, how much energy am I going to have to put into it to make it work? And then two, there's a level of fear of the unknown. Oh, like yeah. what, what does it look like on the other side? Oh yeah. What does it look like if I stop drinking or what does it look like if I stop smoking or. Oh, and I mean, you know what about I mean? What does it look like if I stop having eating disorder yeah. behavior? Like that yeah. was terrifying. Which I've struggled with too. Yeah. yeah. Still, when, I feel. When it starts so young and yeah. you live most of your adult life with those beliefs so deeply ingrained in you the idea of the other side is yeah. horrifying it is yeah it's that little nudge of yourself like if you figure out you've got like this box right where you're like okay this is my normal day here's my normal habits this is what I normally do and then if you just imagine yourself stepping outside of that box just a little bit then say look around what does it look like what do you want what do you want to bring in from the outside that you want in your life something new something better I feel like at that point I wasn't even able to have the wherewithal to be visualizing what I wanted I, I was still in a place of just registering what I didn't want anymore yeah and finally realizing what wasn't working and finally acknowledging that there was an alternate way to do things. Yeah. Because I, for such a long time, was just like, I'm just going to throw up and drink and smoke until one of them kills me. And that's my path. This is what I'm doing. I'm just that person. And when I finally woke up and realized that I was the person in charge of yeah. making that decision and that it was a decision, that was a game changer. Did you just have like a day where you literally woke up and you were like dude, today's, I'm doing something today. I can't say that specifically, but it was one of my uncles had lung cancer and he had called my dad and told my dad, cause my dad smoked, I smoked, my sister smoked, my mom smoked. And he had told my dad, you know, tell the girls to smoke or to quit smoking, <laughs> to not, not to smoke, <laughs> tell them to quit smoking because you know, lung cancer is not, yeah. not cool. This is not fun. This is not where you want to end up. Yeah. And at the time I was like, whatever, that is so not something I'm listening to. And Talk to you I was later. Just like, Bye. Let me light one up now, you know? <laughs> So total jerk and <laughs> it took a few days to sink in. And yeah. then the guy I was seeing at the time, he also smoked and he was like, well, what if we did quit? And I was like, maybe we should break up. You know, like this is not working. You're insane. Oh my God. So I ended up coming around, obviously. <laughs> and something that was sadly pivotal for me was realizing how much money I would save. And I mean, I don't think that's bad. How much that would change my life. 
I don't think that's bad. And it was like daybreak over Marblehead. I was like, you're just pushing your money away. Like, let's get it together here. So I remember this was probably within the last year. I was on my way over to a friend's house. She called me. She's like, hey, can you pick me up a pack of smoke? And she's telling me what kind. She's like, I'll Venmo you. No big deal. Pick them up. Go into this place. Ate something (gasps) for a pack. And I, I looked at the guy. First of all, he had an accent. Okay. So just hear me out. He had an accent, like a pretty thick, like maybe Indian or Arabic, some sort of accent. So he said the total, like, I would say it was like 826 or something. I'm not going to impersonate the guy, but it was thick enough that maybe I thought I misheard him. Plus there's like plexiglass plus masks. Oh yeah. And so I asked the guy, excuse me, uh, what did you say? Like maybe three times. (laughs) It was accepted. (laughs) Well, because I couldn't believe it. I've never bought a pack of cigarettes. I was like, what did you say? $8.26 for a pack of smoke for one pack. That's how much they cost. And I was like, okay. I mean, I just put it on my card and she paid me back. But I was like, my mind was blown. Yeah. As far as the money aspect of smoking. I was like, that's nuts. It's a lot. And also I had started doing yoga with my sister and we would go and do, you know, this beautiful breath practice and then immediately go out to our car and like light up a cigarette as quickly as possible. And I was like, this is ironic, right? (laughs) Like this is probably not what, like, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, what's the end game? Yeah. Yeah. But look, but I mean, I think in those moments you were, you were actively reflecting though. And you, even though you said like, I wasn't visualizing what it would look like if I didn't do that, you were also questioning in a constructive way Yeah. where I think some people don't. They're so caught up in the addiction, for example, to nicotine that they're just, it's a thoughtless thing that they're doing and they've convinced themselves that they have to do it. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And no, I know that's exactly where I was when I was like, I'm just going to do all these things till yeah. I die. Because I thought that like, I just have an addictive personality. Right. Like this is a thing that runs in our family yeah. and this is my this is who I am. Yeah. And I want to be clear to anyone listening, please do not throw anything out of frustration. I know there's a physical addiction to nicotine is a part of the equation. I understand that. But what I'm telling you is that there's a mindset aspect to it when it comes to any sort of addiction that you can start to question what you're doing in a constructive way so that you can start to reflect on what you really, really want out of that situation. Do you want to change it? Do you want to make it better or not? Absolutely. I would second that. I mean, with the eating disorder, with the cigarettes, with the alcohol, there is a deep physical and mental addiction to all of those things. Yeah. Just so deep. I mean, when I talk to people about quitting smoking and drinking and the that lag time on the eating disorder, yeah, you know, I would say, don't look at me like I'm some kind of miraculous person that I quit both of those things cold turkey because I still was leaning hard into that eating disorder. Yeah. So I had that addiction to like get me through quitting the other two. So I would definitely put that out there because I'm not like some miracle worker here. Yeah. Um, And when you have another addiction to push yourself into when you're leaving others, like it makes it. Yeah. I guess I I feel like I almost cheated. I I don't I don't know what to say. (laughs) Well, I think on some levels it was your coping. That was the way you. It definitely helped me cope with it. I mean, it didn't help. 
anything. Yeah. <laughs> but let me be clear about that. But, yeah. You know, it, it was a coping mechanism for me at the time. And, and when I look back at finally leaving the eating disorder behind, it was it was so much harder. It was just so much harder. Yeah. And yeah, there's always, there's definitely Well, I mean, you can't, you can't go whole turkey from food. Well, that is a very tricky aspect of eating disorder. That's always been my struggle. Oh my God. My binging and overeating is that it's, I mean, I wish I could just walk away for a while and regroup. But and my whole life from 12 to literally like two years ago, I've been like, if I could just not have to deal with food, this would be great. And, and it did kind of prove to me that it's not just me yeah. um, saying that. Like, yeah, if I could cold turkey something, I can't because I did it with those two things. Right. But you just can't do that with food. No, you can't. You just can't. I mean, you can't for like 12 hours. Well, but then... then that's called anorexia. <laughs> yeah, so, like, right. You really just can't. You can't. You have, <laughs> There's you get... no avoiding it. <laughs> you get hungry at some point. Oh, my God. So beyond your overcoming these massive challenges, Colleen, you continued to grow, headed into this new journey with your practice, with yoga. Absolutely. And I would say that that is really a cornerstone of why, you know, leaving, you know, choosing to move past these addictions was such a moment of learning for me because I really, you know, beyond the eating disorder, I also leaned so hard into a yoga practice and I really leaned into Inner Bliss Yoga Studio and the amazing teachers there. Mm -hmm. And it, my yoga practice provided this outlet for me that would really held me up during incredibly challenging times that combined with you know, going to therapy and doing an outpatient eating disorder program, that was, that was what got me through and, and really taught me so much about the things that I just had been overlooking in yeah. life. And really one of the most poignant lessons was just learning that I can shift my perspective on things and I'm the one in charge of that. That's really powerful. Yeah. It, it's, crazy I mean it's like liberating when you realize that but just even saying it it's powerful you know because there's so many circumstances in life that can make you feel powerless it's true and you know addiction is at the top of the list yeah Um, and when you start to to take baby steps towards you know making different decisions and moving away from these aspects of your life that you feel you have no control over it's so empowering and amazing just, just learning to like sit with your body and just look at my body in a different way because I had such a negative relationship with it. Yeah. Well, now, and I would think you're imagining potential, you know, like we were even talking the other day about let's get more into running and let's do, let's set some goals for ourselves and things. And I just think that's a, that's also a shift in your mind when you're not battling an addiction, you're not trying to overcome some sort of struggle. You have that room to start thinking a little bit more forward into the future about things and what you want to do and what you want to bring into your life. And I've talked about that in some of my other episodes too. Like that shift doesn't have to be a switch flip. It's gradual and you can practice that mindfulness and that inner reflection and making these changes and you can start small. You don't have to go cold turkey. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No. And you have to listen to yourself. And that that's another huge aspect of the yoga practice that was so profound for me. Just, I didn't have a problem necessarily setting goals or even achieving them. Yeah. It was just the lengths that I went to, to achieve them were not 
usually the healthiest. Yeah. I mean, even with school, I, I still was able to set goals for myself and achieve them. Even though when I was 17, the doctors that we were working with told my parents that I would never graduate college or hold a full-time job. Really? Yeah. They were just like, you're... T-. And then, then that was like the next step was you've tried all of the prescription drugs on the market, so do electroconvulsive therapy. And it was the ECT process itself was very challenging and led to, I was a strong academic before I did ECT. And then with the memory loss and the compromised brain function, basically immediately after that, it was like, you felt a difference. Oh, I was like a whole different person. I felt like I could barely read. I got like a 4.0 the semester before I had it. And I had it in January. It started in January. It went January, February, March. So it was yeah. like two and a half months. And I tried to go back to school in the summer and I took summer courses. I got like D's and F's because I couldn't retain the information. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. And I couldn't, I couldn't even remember how to drive back to BW. I was commuting there and I got totally lost in like East Cleveland the first time. I was like, yeah, I got this. Just kidding. I have no idea where I am. Oh my gosh. So, and then that's what ended up leading me to art and going to Cleveland Institute of Art because I really didn't have the same academic capacity that I previously had. Now it has, I've fully recovered my, yeah. you know, mental oh, yeah. like faculties you were telling and me capacities. You were smashing but, books. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it took a long time. Yeah. Um, and it, it definitely wreaked havoc on my, like, self-esteem. So once I got really into yoga and into it enough to do yoga teacher training, yeah. and they assigned us that book list of, like, reading material, yeah. I was just devouring that reading material. Awesome. I was like, any spiritual growth book, any self-help book, any... Any, any book that's going to show me a path to clean up my thoughts and and give me more tools to work towards the best version of myself, I'm yeah. in. Yeah. When you, this is a question, when you were talking about your struggles academically after you went through that therapy, did you have to take a different approach with yourself as far as growing? Like you said, you've kind of come back and you've gotten your academic capacity back to learning and learning in that genre, right? Not just like learning in life, but... Do you feel like there was like a point where you knew you had to, instead of get frustrated with yourself, you had to be more forgiving and embracing of your current state so that you could grow? Was there some sort of process? You know, looking back, I would say that my my mom had a huge hand in that. Um, she is an artist. She has a BFA from the Cleveland Institute of Art. Oh, and I did not know that. And That's yeah, we, cool. she used to have a whole Intaglio studio and enameling studio in our old house and she's pretty incredible um but she was the one who stepped up to me and said you know why don't you start taking some art classes oh good and that's when I enrolled in my first jewelry class at BW with Dave Williamson oh god they're the best Uh, the the Williamson oh they're the best and Dave and Roberta if you're listening we love you we love you so much Oh my God. So yeah, I mean, to say the least, I had the best teachers ever and it really got me excited about art. And so I busted my butt. Like I had never, I had always done art stuff. Like in school, I I went to mags, they had great art programs. So I was very engaged in that, but I always very specifically avoided drawing and painting. 
Okay. Not into it. My mom is like an illustrator and can draw okay. anything. And maybe that was part of it. Like, I'm never going to live up yeah. to you because right. you're like drawing strawberry shortcake and stuff. Kingston's the same way. But I mean, I just literally have no skill for figure drawing. It was just so painful every time I <laughs> applied myself to learning it. So I had to really like buckle down and yeah. learn that in order to get into CIA. Yeah. And I think that that is, I like rechanneled my academic love. Yeah. My, like, uber book nerdiness yeah. into I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to spend yeah. 25 hours on this self-portrait because I'm that bad and it's that hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that right there, that right there, I think is an approach that is unique to the process of learning. You have to sort of breathe out, stop judging yourself. Yes. And just be willing to accept your present wherever you are with your progress, whatever it is that you're doing and be willing to move yourself forward little by little. And I think that I I did have the luxury of having a parent who was an artist. So the idea of dedicating my academic pursuits to art wasn't so taboo, I guess, where I felt like I could have a real future doing this. And it wasn't just- She was open to it. It wasn't just like, art therapy, which when I look back, my time at CIA, definitely a lot of it was therapeutic for me. Oh yeah. Um, And then that kind of was the bridge that led me back to slowly becoming more comfortable with my academic career and you know, all of the non-studio classes that I took at CIA were baby step toward me regaining confidence in my mental skills. That's cool. So, and your work call, the stuff that you've done, I love. I think it's awesome. One other important lesson I think that we should point out here is that you were at a point where you felt down and out and your mom, who you know cares about you, made a suggestion and you took that advice and you acted on it. And I think that that's really important. You know, you don't have to do... You don't have to go it alone when you have a struggle. Let people let you lean on them. You know what I mean? But you were open to it. And i that's something I try to teach my listeners is like, be open to the things in your life that will help you but see you, them. At the same time, I will say, don't beat yourself up for not being open to them okay. when you're not ready. Yeah, that's true. I can't tell you how many times yoga was presented to me as an alternative therapy. And I was like, "Mm, no, (laughs) like so many times. Never, never mind. So, so many times. And then that ended up really being the bedrock of me rebuilding my life as an adult functioning person. So, I mean, there's going to be, you'll know if you're listening to yourself, if you're being honest with yourself, you'll know. Also, my sister invited me to a yoga class for like two years before I finally was like, fine. And then I went to my first yoga class and I was like, I friggin' love this. (laughs) This is I love that. So don't beat yourself up. Yeah. If you feel like you were presented with some possibility that you overlooked. Yeah. It'll come around. You have to have faith in the timing of life. And sometimes things take longer than you think they're going to take. And you're not going to get anywhere by comparing yourself to the people around yes. you and their oh timelines. Just such an important point there, Carl. You are on your own path. No one else is ever going to know what that path is supposed to look like. Right. But you, until you figure it out. Gosh, you nailed it on that one. That's a good one, Carl. I love it. <laughs> so tell me, tell me and your... And my listeners a little bit more about the person that you are now and how you choose to continue to learn from life. All right. I would say that now an important shift that I would make note of is 
instead of an asana practice, which is the poses, okay, I've had some pain issues and that have not been allowing me to do anything weight bearing in my hands for the past year and a half. So that forced me to really set down roots in a meditation practice, um, which is something I never, I've just struggled with for so long because yeah. sitting with your own thoughts is so much harder than you would think it is. It is tough. Especially when you're like a type A perfectionist (laughs) and like your entire life is like a series of lists with like sub lists and like, you feel me. Oh yeah. So the idea of the whole meditation, like I did yoga teacher training three years ago and that was when I first was like, all right, meditation. Yeah. And I started doing like a 10 minute meditation every day or something as part of the teacher training process. And I was like, this is so hard. And then immediately fell off the wagon post-graduation. That's what I do. I Meditation is something I've always wanted to get better at. And every time I try, I'm like, my to-do list is coming to attack me every time. See, and that I would advise <laughs> if you can't calm your mind and you keep going to like what I'm making for dinner, what's on the to-do list, yeah. you definitely need to employ a mantra. You absolutely have to employ a mantra. And then if you forget your mantra, you can always come back to your breath, breathing okay. in and out. But I find that words really help anchor you when yeah. you're having other words yeah. popping in. And it's not wrong to have thoughts come up while you're in meditation. You're okay. not trying to like shut your brain down. Yeah. The thing that you want to do is just acknowledge what came up yeah. and then let it go. And it's okay. that practice of letting go that helps you move away from like the all or nothing, the black and white, which yeah. is such a struggle for me with my type A personality and my eating disorder past. Like that's an all or nothing life struggle. Yeah. So um, well, just, even the way you quit, you oh, quit drinking oh, and smoking. I'm so dramatic. I'm the most dramatic person. <laughs> I I'm was like, all about I'm it gonna, and now like, I am done. I know. I was like going a million miles an hour and now I'm at zero. <laughs> Let's roll. Like, this is what I'm doing. All the way. The most dramatic (laughs) way possible. So, yeah. So, as I'm trying to move away from being the biggest drama queen in the world. I love it, Cal. Meditation has been huge. You're my favorite. (laughs) So funny. So, that's something that I would say I'm shifting a little bit at this point in my life from outwardly seeking to learn. I am now trying to inwardly seek learning. And I'm trying really hard. And everyone woman can identify with this. I am trying to reconnect to what my body is telling me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a little over two years out of my last like eating disorder relapse. And as I sit with that, I am really working to listen to my body. And it's so hard because we all have been programming ourselves for our entire lives to not listen to our body, not listen to our hunger and fullness cues, to do like a diet app and starve yourself and then eat a whole portion of whatever this is because you already charted it in your stupid app. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God, let it go. So I'm just working on that. I'm working, continuing to go inward. And like my biggest goal right now is to just learn to have an intuitive relationship with what my body is telling me. Yeah. Like hunger cues, fullness, thirst, hunger, all that. And And even exercising. Yeah. Like I was pushing myself so hard with this injury I have with my wrists. I was still doing an asana practice until I tore a tendon in my right arm. Like what, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, you weren't listening to your body. That is not the practice of yoga to do moves until you're tearing the inside of your body apart. Like that's not where we want to (laughs) be. So I'm taking a step back from that. Going into a meditation practice. So, and it's been really powerful. 
I started doing, like, it took me forever to figure out what time of day to do it. Yeah. Because I was just trying to find a spot to, yeah, like, yeah. do it. So I'm finally doing it in the morning, 15 minutes. I have a mantra for the inhale, mantra for the exhale. I need to do that. I need to start I, that. I recommend it. It's, like, so easy and free and massively life-changing. I've also thought that because I'm also listening, learning to listen to my hunger and fullness cues. That's something I've always struggled with. And part of me really wonders, and it's to the point where like, I need to start so that I can conduct this experiment that I want to, but is that connection with your mind, having a closer connection with your mind, being present, being mindful. I've talked about this in my podcast, that your mind and your gut have a very close core connection and they communicate with you if you're willing to listen to your body. So if I can have a closer, tighter, tight-knit relationship with my mind, perhaps it'll help with my hearing my gut, if you will. Absolutely. You know what I mean? There's a lot of research nowadays about gut health being completely tied to mental health. Oh, yeah. And it's just astonishing to me. When, because when I look back at, you know, back when I was 12, 13, like no one was talking about that. Yeah. No one was even barely talking about eating disorders or mental health. Yeah. So they were definitely not at the gut health is tied to mental right. health place yet. So when I look back and I'm like, oh, of course my, I mean, honestly, I feel really, really lucky that I was diagnosed as bipolar at such a young age because a lot of people, it hits them in like their late teens, early twenties when they're just getting out on their own. So I feel like with the severity of what I was dealing with, I feel very blessed that it happened so young because I had an incredible support system in my family. Yeah. And if I didn't have that, I just, I don't know, you know, all those people who are diagnosed and present with the... Um, symptoms later in life. I yeah, I don't know knows. if I would have been okay. Yeah, I don't know if I would have made it through. But I think it's so valuable that you you've looked back and you've realized the worth of that too. Like the circumstances and you know anyone who has a situation where they're struggling with you know mental health issue or disorder or anything like that. It's so easy to get sucked into the problem itself. It's so easy to get caught up in I'm not normal sort of self cloud of disconnection. And even, you know, when I was first diagnosed, it was, you're never going to get better. Yeah. This is forever. That's crazy to me. I literally can't believe that they said that to you, knowing the person that you are. I've known you for what, 10, more than 10 years now. And I've always seen you as someone who is just, has a huge appetite for growth. Even, even when we first met and you don't see yourself that way. We talked about this the other day and I told you, I always viewed you as someone because you always, you always have overcome stuff for your whole life. You've been overcoming, overcoming, overcoming where there are people who literally have everything just handed to them. They have the easy road and they still have stuff to complain about. And they still have reasons and excuses why they don't want to do stuff to make their life better. And you, you have never had that chance to have stuff easy. You've always made it better for yourself. You've always put in the work. And I've always seen you that way. Always. You're going to make me <laughs> I know, but I just want you to know that like, I mean, I, I will say I did have a lot of things handed to me. I had an amazing family and, you know, not everybody gets that. Not everybody gets a support system and yeah. not, not everybody gets, oh, I'm going to get emotional, but my, not everybody gets a mom that sits through all those. My mom has probably spent like thousands of hours of her life waiting at doctor's appointments for me. Yeah. And that is not common. No, it's not. But she's your mom, Kyle. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's you know, that's, love. that's incredible. And 
She's awesome. If I ever meet her, I'm going to give her a big hug. Oh my God. She's the best. Well, it's like, I, it's so weird. I remember distinctly watching some weird eighties movie when I was like a child. Yeah. And there was someone who was homeless and like, I got very sad even just seeing it. And I was like crying and I asked my dad what was happening. And it was because they were homeless because they were bipolar. That was literally the plot line was that they had gone off their meds. They were bipolar and they ended up homeless. And I remember thinking about that so many times and so many times in my life, I've been like, (laughs) my mom is like, literally the difference between me just being one of those road like written off people like my doctors wrote me off like yeah that's crazy I was like totally throwaway disposable to them but my family was there for me oh I love it Cal thank you so much for sharing that that's (sighs) such a powerful story and I just think that you know when you look back at your life and you're willing to reflect on the value of certain people in your life the value of certain experiences even if it wasn't the most beautiful thing you know like you were struggling with a lot of things you had doctors tell you that you were never going to be able to be on your own and you're looking back and finding the value in those experiences and it's just such a powerful place to be in your life that you can do that and, and be able to see and take that value and you like how full you are you're bursting with emotion because you're so you're full with and your I family to be grateful for it. it's awesome i just love it so much so call one last question mm-hmm. to anyone out there who's maybe struggling with something similar in any way whether it's you know addiction or mental health or just any kind of struggle at all if you could give them some some advice what would you what would you say I feel like this really relates to what we were just talking about find your people yeah just find your people that lift you up your people that light you up if you don't have an amazing family find yeah a family yep make they don't have somewhere to be blood you're related it does not have to be a blood relation i know not everyone is that lucky and you know even if you don't have you know some dire circumstance find people that lift you up in your life surround dahlia talked about this in a previous episode <laughs> the five people that you surround yourself with the most are yeah. who you are that's who and you that are. is so true so find people that lift you up find people that inspire you find people that push you to be the best version of yourself yeah and just drink that in yeah that is a hundred percent one of the best things that i could ever tell anyone as far as advice and the other thing i would say is it's great to have like self-improvement goals yeah but you have to remember to be kind to yourself yeah you have to remember to treat yourself with the love and kindness that you would treat other people with you teach me that that because continuously well it's only because I was going the other direction for so long (laughs) that I can say with confidence it's not gonna get you anywhere you want to be oh my gosh Carl well thank you so much for just sharing so much of yourself with us here today and you know just sharing everything your lessons and your feelings and I feel like you shared your soul with us and it's just been a really beautiful conversation and I'm just so so thankful for you being here thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you for making this podcast it's changing lives you're the best call uh well there you have it you guys I mean seriously I could probably listen to that conversation over and over and over again. And for anyone who's wondering what it sounds like when I actually crack up, Colleen is one of my favorite people on the planet, hands down, has always been since the day I met her. 
And it's just awesome when you have friendships in your life that just don't change. And, you know, there's been times when her and I haven't talked as much or whatever, but I am just so, so glad that we are getting back to being close and talking more. And now she lives near me, which is great. So we meet up more often than we ever have. And I just want everyone to know that you got to have friends in your life like Colleen. I mean, if you want to be friends with Colleen, let me know. I'll get you in touch with her. She's amazing. But find your Colleen, okay? Just find your Colleen. That's what I have to say about it. (sighs) Seriously. And, you know, just realizing what you have. I think that one of the main things that echoed from this episode as a whole was just gratitude. You know, seeing and understanding and knowing what you have in life And using that as a jumping off point to overcome challenges, you know, I just hope you guys enjoyed that. I know I did. I enjoyed it the first time around. I enjoyed it the second time around. I enjoyed it the third time around when I finally fine tuned all my audio and everything like that. So gosh, I just I want to say thank you so much, guys, for being here today. And as always, I want to relay a heartfelt thank you through the sound waves from my soul to yours. I always appreciate your time. I appreciate you being here with me and with Colleen this time. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did love what you heard, please, please, please consider sharing the episode, sharing the podcast, leaving me a review. All of these things help spread the word. If, if this podcast is doing good for you in your life, share it. Social media is an amazing thing. If you've got something good to share, share it. And if it's this podcast, please do it because you never know who's going to benefit from it. And I've had people reach out to me. The things that they're saying to me is just completely heartwarming and overwhelming. So if you even just a little bit of joy or a smile or a laugh, if you laughed with us, whatever, share it because other people need this stuff. Okay. As always, you guys know, you can go to floatonpodcast.com to find updates and more information. As always, as well, I'm your host, Dahlia Jean. And until next time, float on.